Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom Species, the animal advocacy show on 3CR. You just heard Out of the Pan with Sally Goldner, and you can tune into Sally's show every Sunday at 12pm. It's Claire here, and I wanted to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from Jajarang country in central Victoria. I want to pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to the First Nations people on whose lands you're listening in from today. Today I'm joined by Caroline and we're coming together to discuss the book Pollution is Colonialism by Max Lebron. Um, but we did want to start today with an acknowledgement of what is currently happening in Palestine. Um, so we're recording this on Saturday the 28th of October. Um, so it's, you know, a lot potentially has changed um, in the week before this goes to air. But um the situation on the ground today feels incredibly desperate. Um, we lost contact with people in Gaza um, when the communications, any communications out of the Gaza Strip were completely shut down um, by attacks on Gazan infrastructure by the Israeli army. And we believe um, from the little, the two stories that I've seen that have come out from from. Gaza since that happened that this is um, the beginning of a really concerted military push into that territory. So just keeping in mind um, in the context of, of discussing a text about colonialism that we're seeing um, very in, in real time, you know, colonialism in action, settler colonialism in action, um, and wanted to express um, our you know, deep sorrow um, at the genocide that's occurring and also our unconditional solidarity with the Palestinian resistance. Um, Caroline, did you want to say anything before we get into the text? Thanks, Claire. I um, absolutely echo your words there and um, express my, my deep, deep sorrow and, you know, solidarity with Palestinians. I, I'm just can't fathom what we're seeing. I do also want to acknowledge that um, I'm coming to this conversation from Bunurong country um, and I'm very, very fortunate to live in this beautiful, beautiful land that, that's never been ceded um, and it's it's a real privilege to be here. And thanks so much for asking me to join. So I think this is a just fantastic book. 
I just wanted to begin by introducing Max and, and some of their work and then also the, the text itself. Um, yeah, we'll talk about a little bit more about why introductions are really <laughs> important. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just to, to start off with an introduction uh, to Dr. Lebron. Um, so Dr. Lebron is a professor in geography and was formerly the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Research at the Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, so-called Canada. Um, Lebron is... Red River Métis, Michef, um, and Settler raised in Treaty 6 territory. Um, they use they, them pronouns and their research, mentorship and administrative work focuses on developing and promoting anti-colonial methods in a wide range of disciplines and spaces. As founder of CLEAR, an interdisciplinary plastic pollutions laboratory whose methods foreground humility and good land relations, Lebron has influenced national policy on both plastics, Indigenous research, invented technologies and protocols for community monitoring of plastics and created protocols for fostering research collectives. Recently, they're a co-director of the Indigilab Network, a new international research hub where Indigenous researchers collaborate on in innovative methods for creating and maintaining research collectives. So CLEAR is their laboratory and it stands for the Civic Laboratory for Environmental Action Research. It's an interdisciplinary natural and social science lab space dedicated to good land relations. Equal parts research space, methods incubator and social collective, CLEAR's way of doing things from environmental monitoring of plastic pollution to how they run lab meetings, are based on values of humility, accountability, and anti-colonial research relations. CLEAR specialises in community-based and citizen science monitoring of plastic pollution, particularly in wild food webs and the creation and use of anti-colonial research methodologies. To change science and research from its colonial, macho, and elitist norms, CLEAR works at the level of protocol. Rather than lead with good intentions, they work to ensure that every step of research and every moment of laboratory life exemplifies their values and commitments. Pollution is Colonialism is Lebron's first book and it bridges science and technology studies, Indigenous studies and discard studies while providing a framework for understanding all research methods as practices that align with or against colonialism. Focusing on plastic pollution, the text models an anti-colonial scientific sorry, an anti-colonial scientific foregrounding lands, ethics and relations and demonstrates that anti-colonial science is not only possible but is currently being practiced. So now we've briefly introduced the text and the author and some of um, Clear's work. I think it's really important to acknowledge our positionality in relation to text. Um, so I'd like to um, introduce this by reading out Lebron's discussion of how they acknowledge positionality in the text from the footnotes in page 10 in the introduction. So Lebron says, it's common to introduce Indigenous authors with their nation slash affiliation, while settler and white scholars almost always remain unmarked. 
This unmarking is one act among many that recenters settlers and whiteness as an unexceptional norm, while deviations have to be marked and named. Simone de Beauvoir, French, called this positionality both positive and the neutral, as is indicated by the common use of man to designate human beings in general. Not cool. <laughs> this led Max to a, a methodological dilemma. How do, how do they mark everyone? No one. They thought about just leaving it because this is difficult and even uncomfortable to figure out. But since this is a methods text, Max figured out that they should shit or get off the pot. <laughs> um, yeah. Feminist standpoint theory and even truth and reconciliation processes maintain that social location and the different collectives we are part of matter to relations, obligations, ethics and knowledge. Settlers have a different place in reconciliation than Indigenous people, than Black people who were stolen from their land. As Lapa Person, who's a diasporic settler of colour, writes, Settler is not an identity. It is the idealised judicial space of exceptional rights granted to normative settler citizens and the idealised exceptionalism by which settler states exert their sovereignty. The settler is a site of exception from which whiteness emerges. The anthropocentric normal is written in its image. This assumed positive and neutral normal um, right is enacted in the lack of introduction settlers as settlers. Sorry, I'll read that again. This assumed positive and neutral normal right is enacted in the lack of introduction of settlers as settlers, as if settler presence on land, especially Indigenous land, is a stable and unremarkable norm. What allows settlers to consistently and unthinkingly not introduce their relations to land and colonial systems is settlerism. Liberon continues, in light of this complex terrain, my imperfect methodologic, methodological decision has been to identify all authors in the way they identify themselves the first time they appear in a chapter. If an author does not introduce themselves or their land relations, I mark them as unmarked. I do this rather than marking settlers as settlers because of the advice of Tim Cook, sorry, because of the advice of Kim Tolbert, Siston Wapatan Ayati, who encourages people to look at the structures of the settler state rather than focusing on naming individual settlers, which reenacts the logics of eugenicist and racist impulses to property. Oh, sorry, which reenacts the logics of eugenicist and racist impulses to properly and finally categorize people properly. Lebron concludes this section by explaining, I take up this method so we, as users of texts, can understand where authors are speaking from, what ground they stand on, whom their obligations are to, what forms of sovereignty are being leveraged, what structures of privilege the settler state affords, and how we are related so our obligations to one another as speaker and listener, writer and audience, can be specific enough to enact obligations to one another, a key goal of this text. 
How has colonialism introduced? How has colonialism affected us differently? Introducing yourself is part of ethics and obligations, not punishment. So let's introduce ourselves. <laughs> I was born in Warrenay, so-called Sydney, on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and spent most of my life on Boonwurrung and Wurundjeri lands. I'm currently living in central Victoria on Jaja Rum country. I'm from a white settler background, um, first generation Australian. My mother is English and my father is Irish. Um, both sets of my grandparents moved with their young families to Aotearoa and so-called Australia after World War II. For most of my life, I believed being first generation Australian put me at a distance from invasion and dispossession. Obviously, this is based on both a socially constructed and individually cultivated understanding of inv invasion and dispossession as discrete and temporally bound events, not structures. It's clear to me now that the ability of both sides of my family to escape the effects of World War II and benefit from the white Australia policy is firmly rooted in settler and white privilege. Recognising this, however, is not meant to signal a new sense of innocence. As Canadian settler scholar Corey Snellgrove argues, there are no good settlers, there are no good colonisers. Instead, this recognition signals complicity in the ongoing processes of dispossession and a shield of Indigenous nationhood. It necessarily connects me to histories and presence which shape how I came and come to being here. It is a sign that demands, that alludes to an accounting of and responsibility for, and nothing less than the destruction of settler colonialism. In terms of my academic background, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree with honours, majoring in Indigenous Studies. My minor thesis was called Booing the Selfish Rabble, reading race in white stream news media representations of Aboriginal sovereign resistance and was a critique of the ways in which two public displays of Indigenous sovereign resistance were reported on within the white stream media and reflected on the implications of this for understanding the operations of racism in contemporary Australia. My activist and academic work focuses on settler colonial theory, relationality, the possibilities of disrupting the colonial nature of knowledge production in the settler colonial academy, educational approaches to ped pedagogy grounded in student-centred and transformative praxis, and a commitment to ethical practice and collaboration in work that seeks institutional and societal transformation. Principles of place-based ethics, reflexivity, reciprocity and justice underpin all the work I do in order to resist and redress the harmful colonial patterns of domination and exploitation usually bred in institutional spaces. So that's me. <laughs> wow, Claire. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, I have to be really, really honest and say I've probably not really thought a lot about introductions until the last few years. Mm. Um, back in, I think, 2020 when we were in one of our lockdowns, 
I did a workshop with um, acknowledge that acknowledge the sorry acknowledge this um, who talk about acknowledgement of country and how important they are and try and get people to sort of understand that their story is also, you know, relevant to the ongoing conversations that we have and to not be so nervous about giving an acknowledgement of country, you know, obviously respectfully and, you know, I guess authentically, although we say authentic way too much. But anyway, in terms of my background, um, I'm also from, you know, a, a white settler background. Both my my mum and my dad's family um, immigrated here from England, um, actually sim- around the similar time in the 1850s. So, you know, we, we've tracked things um, and back to that. And anyway, I was born um, in on Bunurong land and actually I've lived on Bunurong land pretty much all my life. So... I'm near a really special place called um, Narangoling, which means Sweetwater, uh, Sweetwater Creek. People might know that. Um, and, yeah, look, I, it's, it's one of the things that really stood out to me um, about the book was that that importance of um, introductions and how they show knowledge. And I think um, that's one of the things that, stood out to me just even from when I started the book. I, I don't think I'd really thought about that before. You know, Max introduces themselves and talks about how introductions are so important because they show where the knowledge comes from, to whom they're accountable, and how I was built, I think is the way that Max describes that. So, And also that importance of stories and the responsibilities also of not telling stories that actually are not yours. Um, not yours to share or that features some sort of personal trauma, scandal, et cetera. Um, Yeah. And the importance of protocol, I think, is a really strong thing. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think it's really easy. And there are, look, there are really valid critiques of acknowledgements of country um, or, you know, Indigenous people being asked to do welcomes of country. Welcome, welcome to countries for, you know, mining corporations and um, in the context of, of um, incredibly violent sort of settler colonial relations. Um, but I think, you know, as a non-Indigenous person, my understanding is that it's protocol to acknowledge country and to introduce yourself in relation to country um, mm-hmm. until... I'm instructed. Otherwise, you know, I will always conform to those protocols. And I think, you know, in the context of, of things like the failed uh, referendum vote, um, actually adhering and showing respect for Indigenous protocols is even more important, um, irrespective of, you know, what we critiques we might have of the voice, um, the voice proposal. And I had a lot of critiques and concerns um, about that as as a potential agent for change making, um, you know, I think it's um, worth acknowledging the kind of uh, deep mourning that's been going on for a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because, you know, people did really have the sense that there was more that that was being voted on um, than the the proposal for the voice. So I think in, in that context, um, yeah adhering to protocol and, and introducing ourselves is really important. Yeah. Um, at this point, 
It might be worth um, jumping over to our first track. So I'm going to recommend that uh, we start, we kick off today um, with the track uh, Land Back by The Hallucination, which are a collective of Indigenous um, artists from so-called Canada. Um, yeah, and I don't think I really need to explain <laughs> uh, why I've chosen this particular track. I think uh, the name itself kind of indicates uh, why this is a relevant track to include in this episode. Fantastic.
3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Have you experienced or seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard, call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Okay, welcome back. Uh, that was Land Back by the Hallucination. Um, and you're with Claire and Caroline on Freedom of Species uh, discussing the incredible text Pollution is Colonialism by Dr. Max Lebron. We might start our discussion now um, with the first question, which was uh, what really stood out for you from this book? Why was it of interest? Uh, what is its significance for you? Um, so, Caroline, do you want to kick oh, us off? So many things stand out about the book. Like, it, 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 I've got honest it is so different than probably anything I think I've ever read I think I messaged you when I said I've just started this book today I'm absolutely blown away and mind you I'd only read the introduction yeah (laughs) from the opening about talking about how important introductions are and um you know again those protocols and and the importance of stories the thing I absolutely loved in this book was the footnotes Mm. so the Extensive footnotes in the book just gave that additional context, nuance, sometimes political sort of context. That was so well written, so accessible, funny, yeah. had jokes in there. It really, really helped me sort of delve into um, some of the, the concepts in, in the book as well. Um, yeah, I just was was blown away by by the way um, Max structured all of that. You know, I, I guess I also was really shocked by a lot of things. And again, even just at the introduction, sort of that opening of um, recounting a story from the 1950s at the Society of Plastics Industry meeting. Um, apparently, it was Lloyd Sufa, the editor of the US magazine Modern Plastics addressed all the attendees and said, oh, the future of plastics is in the trash can. It's time for the plastic industry to stop thinking about reuse plastics and concentrate on single use. And I thought, Lloyd, it's your fault. (laughs) I know that, that like packaging is the single largest category of plastic production, apparently accounting for 40% of plastic production in Europe and 33% in Canada. And interestingly, that plastics replaced animal products during wartime. That was fascinating. And I think really important, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind as vegans as well, because a lot, I really struggle with this myself, a lot of vegan alternatives are, you know, petroleum-based plastics. Um, Yeah. 
that will outlive all of us. I have a scam my scam duty, um, you know, a tote bag that says plastics will outlive us all. But yeah, I just really, really struggle with the idea of, because, of, you know, being the environmental impact of the meat and dairy industry was a huge factor in me deciding to, to go vegan. And I just really, really struggle with um, not thinking or, you know, not criti- not being really critical of the kind of in- incredibly environmentally unfriendly sort of vegan alternatives that are offered. I don't want shoes made out of plastic, but um, that's not obviously not just a vegan issue. That's a very widespread, you know, plastics are incredibly ubiquitous and, and that's something this text makes really, really clear is this idea that we can be individually sort of pure. Um is really a, a really false way of, of, of thinking about the ways in which um, us the world over interact with plastics because, you know, there's the incredible section on BPA where Max is like, you know, well, even if you, they explain that actually the BPA alternative is actually just another, essentially another form of BPA. It's called BPS and it has exactly the same kind of, impacts and and all that sort of stuff um but even and i was feeling really like well actually i don't use a plastic water bottle i have a tin one and blah 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 and then you know like two sentences later max is like bpa is all over your receipts if you get receipts from shops it's coded um they're coded in bpa and then in cans and of course i use lots of canned um pulses and legumes and yeah and so this idea of being able to somehow individually opt out of these incredibly giant polluting systems is just a it's it's a false dichotomy but i do think it is worth us as still worth us thinking really critically as vegans about what we're being offered um as alternatives to meat and dairy um both food wise and then also in terms of clothing um yeah i do i love my like fake bacon and stuff, but I am just really conscious that it comes wrapped in so much plastic and it's, it's horrifying. Yeah. Amazing. So. so one of the things I struggled with was, yeah, that concept of um, there being permission to pollute, that the environment can handle a certain amount of contaminants before harm occurs and apparently this, you know, is, I guess, reflected in environmental science and in, you know, regulation of the environment. So it refers to the amount of waste material that can be discharged into a receiving water without causing deleterious ecological effects. So I don't know. I have a real problem accepting and and even, you know, sort of understanding that. Like I, I just sort of feel that how can we say that there is um, an acceptable Mm. yeah i think and i think that's kind of max's point with with that into the text is exactly to ask this question like how can we say that there is and and what they're sort of arguing in this text is actually this is entirely constructed and almost arbitrary not 
fully arbitrary but almost arbitrary and entirely based upon sort of settler and colonial relations to land, not Indigenous understandings of harm and pollution and um, good relations and so forth. Um, but, yeah, that there's kind of, that there isn't, um, there isn't these acceptable limits um, and that they're created by capitalist science which you know I mean we're always taught that all that science in particular is neutral um, and is based upon you know research Um, but actually you know Max's whole book just proves how deeply implicated this supposedly neutral way of, of operating the world is. Yeah. One of the other things was um, when they talk about the way they um, obtain, you know, fish guts um, from, you know, from fish, commercial fisheries, etc. So, you know, they'll go down to the wharves and that's how they'll obtain them for their research. And um, there's a memory that's shared by Charles Mather sort of learning a little bit more, I guess, about sort of um, complex land relations and somebody has come and has wanted to actually obtain the fish guts because they actually wanted to use it to make a soup. So they talk about the clear team feeling really quite conflicted about that because what they had perceived as a really, I guess, um, ethical, sort of uncomplicated way of obtaining the fish guts for them to um, test in the laboratory is potentially, I guess, taking away food from someone in order for them to generate data in the lab. So, you know, they said that didn't really align with their concept of good relations, but I guess it sort of underscored, you know, that they, you know, it, it, I guess it just changed the way that they thought about the way they relate to people and fish on the wharf and I guess that um, the the fish carcasses and guts aren't necessarily waste. They don't have exclusive access to, you know, to those things and for someone else those things were food. Um, I found that really, really fascinating. Yeah, I mean one of the things that really challenged me about the book um, was the way in which Max points out um, environmentalism often reproduces colonial land relations um, and their sort of critique that they offered of, of well-intentioned, well-intentioned environmental science and activism. Yeah, that just really kind of mm, made me think a lot about different campaigns I've been involved with and and the ways in which yeah colonialism and colonial thinking and and as Max says colonial relations are reproduced um through this activism Mm. yeah really made me kind of rethink a lot of ways in which non-Indigenous environmental activists sort of think about yeah about our good intentions and like good intentions kind of um what's the word like excuse is not it's not the word I'm (laughs) I'm looking for but yeah excuse Uh, kind of the the potentially incredibly negative outcomes of, of some of the things that we say and do 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a really interesting article by and and Lebron talks about this particular author, um, Kyle White, um, who's a citizen um, Potawatomi um, environmental scientist, and and he has a really interesting article where he argues against the use of of what he calls crisis epistemology in environmental campaigns and in particular the language of um, declaring a climate emergency used by um, organisations like Extinction Rebellion and his concerns with with um, handing over all of our sort of rights um, to the state in this um, emergency, climate emergency, which he points out actually is just <laughs> an incredibly sort of potentially like rise of authoritarianism and fascism actually um, and that, yeah, when when we devolve everything in in a state of emergency to the government, it doesn't result in, in um, good outcomes for Indigenous and other marginalised communities um, and that really challenged me as well. Yeah. And on that, I know we talked a bit already about the um, BPA, so the chemical that's often found in hard plastics. I thought it was really, really sad um, to read the um, section from the Native Youth Sexual Health Network. So when they were talking about, I guess, BPA and also talking about um, environmental violence, they were talking about how disproportionately that impacts um, Indigenous women, etc., um, and how much they've, yeah, that, I mean, that was just really horrible to read. And some of this, the things around um, BPA being linked to, you know, recurrent miscarriages, early-onset puberty, early-onset menopause, obesity, diabetes, um, neurological disorders, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And when we talk about, you know, the alternative, as you mentioned, to BPA is um, something very similar um, from a molecular level, you know, what do we do? How do we get away from all of that? You know, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. No, I don't know what the answer is either. I mean, Max makes the point that these are endocrine dis disrupting chemicals yeah. um, and that we don't have the ability to escape these relations. Um, and a couple of times they use the, the, the assertion, you do not need to be Indigenous to be subject to anti-Indigenous technologies, um, you know, on, on particularly on, on the BPA um, issue they say avoidance based on the concept of the possibility of separating human body and polluted nature is a scallium is a scallium mismatch where problems and their proposed solutions occur at different scales and do not affect the relationships that matter purity relations based in discreteness and separation do not scale for plastics mm. you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I think this is a good a good place to bring up their critique of um, of the environmental campaigns surrounding 
people um, throwing plastic into the oceans. And, the, and I think they said that uh, there's some percentage, like 75, 80%, 85%, I can't remember exactly the number that they used, um, which says that um, it comes from five particular developing countries. And, you know, obviously there's like a massive critique of the, of the word developing. Um, and there was an environmental organization that ran a campaign and the solution to, to this, this plastic pollution in the oceans was to set up incinerators. Um, so that was, um, they were saying that there was a report in 20, sorry, 2015 by a US based environmental NGO called Ocean Conservancy. Yeah. Saying, yeah, that's right. The solution in Southeast Asia was to build incinerators to burn the plastic waste. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. And this is where Max was making the differentiation between harm and violence, right? Harm is those individual consumers throwing rubbish into the street and or, or you know, into a drain and it ending up in the ocean, but their point is like actually it's an incredibly violent system which produces all of these plastics. Um, and if we don't talk about the industrial kind of relations that that result in this plastic pollution, then we're not addressing the source of the problem in any way, shape or form. You know, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous to think that, I mean, it, the mind just boggles that that's kind of a, a solution is that we incinerate plastic um, and that that won't come back in any way, shape or form into the oceans. I mean, once obviously that goes into the atmosphere, it's absorbed into rain, rain goes into the oceans and then you've just got, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was plastic returning to the ocean. blown away by that. Just going back to what you mentioned before, though, it's sort of about the greenwashing. So I really like that they're, they're sort of mm. talking about um, corporations really trying to greenwash and um, their role out of the plastic pollution crisis and blame, you know, individuals because they love doing that. So they talked about um, Freedom Island in the Philippines and said that there were six international brands that were responsible for of plastic um, packaging pollution. The brands were Nestle, Unilever, PT, Torabica, Mayora, Procter & Gamble, um, Mondo Nissan and Colgate-Palmolive. And it's because obviously they could find all that plastic, they could identify that plastic with logos and, you know, different things. Um, So it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Max, one of the the quotes that I wrote down from the text is, you know, the relationships we should be looking at are not at the end of the pipe but in how plastics go into the pipe to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, that's where having a critique of capitalism and colonialism really comes into it and is really, really important. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I do think it is worth mentioning as we're a, a vegan show that um, that there's quite extensive discussion of the ways in which um, animal carcasses are used by the Clear Laboratory um, and different Indigenous um, relations with non-human animals 
I talked about um, and acknowledged that I found that quite confronting um, to to and there's one particular story that Max tells about going fishing with friends and with a friend and um, some other fisher people um, on a boat in I can't remember where I think very north North America um, and attempting to cut the throats of, of fish that had been caught in order to give them a, a quick death. Um, that was, yeah, really horrifying to I was have both read and listened to the text. Um, so, yeah, it is worth mentioning that um, if yeah. people are going to pick up this text, this is a text that does talk about, you know, scientific engagement with animal carcasses and, and yeah. yeah. But I do think there's some really, really important things in there about um, Indigenous relations with non-human um, animals that are really important for us to consider. And, and the really interesting case um, Max talks about um, with one particular community that's decided to continue to consume contaminant, what, what have they've been advised not to consume fish because they're contaminated. Um, and ha- some members of the community have um, disregarded that advice because they see that the cultural death that comes from not um, engaging in I hesitate to use the word traditional because <laughs> mm. I think that's a really problematic way, but um, I guess long-standing community practices um, of, of um, you know, preparing nets to catch these fish and then um, the whole processes of, of processing the animal and so forth and the, all the language loss that's associated with not continuing with these practices is is a, is again a form of colonialism and and cultural death. Um, yeah, so I do think that's a really important thing as people who advocate um, for a vegan diet slash you know consistent anti-oppression principles and approach to the world that we are really cognizant of the deeply colonial um, relations that we are advocating for Indigenous communities if we say that Indigenous communities shouldn't be able to continue to practice um, food gathering in certain ways. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also struggled with um, sections around discussing fish um, and, you know, that that's not surprising and, you know, as a vegan, someone who respects, unfortunately, how fish are treated in the rest of society, you know, if we think about commercial um, fishing and the almost innumerable fish um, who suffer every, you know, every day, I, I found that really hard to read Yet I really had a respect for the way the CLEAR lab and team members having the fish guts and the fish carcasses, and they did that so respectfully. So, again, it was back to that whole thing that you mentioned in the beginning, Claire, about protocol. So if you've obtained the fish guts from someone who's fishing, like, you know, 
I don't know, I guess in a sense you argue that the fish hasn't been killed for that um, for that research to be undertaken. But I, I was really interested in reading their, their protocol. So in the lab, and, you know, we don't need to go into what they're doing with the fish, but in the lab um, there's obviously going to be some processing of the fish gut. They want to examine um, whether there's plastics in the stomach. They've asked team members, you know, not to wear earbuds, not to be listening to music, to be really fully present um, with that animal that deserves your full attention and your respect. Um, take a moment to think about them and, you know, where they've come from. And even I think also when they were talking about um, then returning the animal sorry, and returning the fish to the ocean, I found that absolutely fascinating in terms of protocol, but also it was almost a ceremony, but there was there was some sort of officialness to it. I don't know what the right word is. Um, so they, they talked about when they were touching the fish guts and when they were returning them to the ocean, they did not res- wear gloves out of respect for the animal. And they, they thought at first they'd be really disgusted, um, you know, da, 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 da. they didn't mind. And there was a whole sombre, respectful consideration of what what they've actually, I guess, taken from that fish guard. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't really said that very well, but it was so beautifully written. And in terms of respectful protocol, something that I don't think we do see in Western science, right? Yeah. I, I Yeah, the protocol section was fascinating. Um, I think the not wearing earbuds is really, really interesting because I use – I have noise cancelling headphones and I use them very much to dissociate from my environment. Um, Yeah, so I found that really, really interesting. It is, though, really important to notice that you are allowed to listen to music, but you need to listen to it on a speaker and they encourage you to sing. um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's not a blanket ban on the The music, music, the earbuds. Yeah, it's just on the earbuds, which I think is a really, really interesting understanding of how people, and often, you know, as a neurodivergent person, I'm using my noise cancelling headphones to, to, to distance myself from potentially distressing, you know, circumstances, overstimulation, et cetera. Um, Mm. But, yeah, it's really, really interesting to see that written into protocols um, as uh, we really need to be sitting with this work um, and sitting with the bodies of kin. Um, And they're not kin for all the scientists. You know, Max makes the point that not everybody who works at CLEAR is Indigenous and not every Indigenous scientist who works at CLEAR is Indigenous to that specific area. So they may or may not have a kinship relationship with um, the animals that are being processed. Um, but, you know, for for anyone really, it's, it's about working in relationship and it's about obligations and accountability. Um, and, yeah, and so while I think a lot of reading about that kind of processing can be really um, distressing as a vegan, actually really thinking through what, 
they're saying in terms of their protocols and that accountability and responsibility and reciprocity, um, which is not at all how our society operates or, you know, Western capitalist colonial societies operate. Naming them ours, I think, (laughs) is um, reflective of of how either of us feel about these systems and societies and ways of doing things. You know, we don't want to want to be part of these relations, but yeah, we need to resist them in order for them to change. But yeah, I think I'd really encourage people to read this text with these like warnings in mind, but there is so much um, in there. Um, for the thinking about how to do things differently and how to do things well and how to do things respectfully and with accountability and obligation written into all the sort of steps of of, um, both our professional work and then um, our activism, I think. Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the last kind of point um, that... I think is really important is how to read the text is one of the the things that I struggle with and 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 challenge me because you know Lebron makes the point that colonialism can in, impacts upon everything that we do including how we relate to texts and 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 makes the point that the, they themselves have actually, you know, when reflecting on the ways, having been trained in the Western colonial academy, the ways in which they themselves relate to different texts can be incredibly extractive. Um, They quote um, Eve Tuck, who I mentioned before, um, who says that I forgot all these years of relation between settler and Indigenous people set up settlers to be terrible readers of Indigenous work. And Libron asked the settler reader to incorporate reflexivity into their reading and to read in a non-extractive manner, to be guided by questions, how do place-based non-universal methods travel how do we take messages with us without being extractive or resource oriented? How do they become useful and good in other places for other people like you? Mm. So I think that that's a really important place to maybe <laughs> leave this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm conscious that this has been like less than half of the notes that I took on, on the book that we got through today and, and we got through a grand total of two of the questions that I'd prepared. Um, I had a bunch of other questions, so maybe this is a text that we will or a conversation that we'll return to. It's definitely a text that I'm going to return to multiple times throughout my life. Um, I did want to mention to our listeners that this, is available um, if you're a Spotify premium subscriber, the audio book of this is available. Um, we've talked about how incredible the footnotes are though. And, and if you do listen to it on audio book, the footnotes aren't included um, as part of the recording. So we'd really encourage people to return to the printed text as well, because the footnotes are such an important part of, of mm-hmm. Max's um, approach to writing the text um, and to demonstrating that the kind of anti-colonial practices 
um, in all aspects of, of their work. Um, I'm going to share some links on the show website to things like um, Max's website, um, the CLEAR website, a Q&A um, with Lebron um, that, that's on their publisher website and that's Duke University Press. We'll share the link to the audio book um, through Spotify and also a link to the paper Decolonisation is Not a Metaphor by um, Eve Tuck and Wayne Yang. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Caroline, for joining Thank me today. You. Yeah. Thank you. It's just one of the most profound books I've ever read and I, I really need to go over it again. I've got so many things tabbed up and um, it just really invites us in to think about things in a different way and um, to look at those links between, you know, colonialism and the way we think about land, capital L, small L, yeah, I think it's just a f- absolutely fascinating work. So thank you so much for asking me to join you. And thanks also to you listeners. Um, if you have any feedback on the show, please feel free to email us at freedomofspecies at gmail.com. Um, we air on 3CR every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. Um, you can tune in at 8.55 a.m. in Melbourne and we're also streamed live via the 3CR website and all previous episodes are available again, on the 3CR website as well as on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, The last tune that we'll play today is Long Leave Palestine um, by the rapper Low Key. Um, We'd really encourage people to attend the solidarity rallies that are occurring every Sunday at the State Library from 12pm. That's where I'll be tomorrow and then most likely on the day that this episode airs. So, yeah, hope to see.
Disabled people are worth every bloody penny. I'm okay with spending money on the supports that we need. There's more than 400,000 people who should be on the DSP, but are on JobSeeker instead. I've got a life to live. I've got commitment. Like everybody else in society. The only way to provide meaningful support is stronger grassroots movements. These institutions are never going to be our saviour. If everyone was the same, it would be a boring old world we live in. We need to do a lot of work in this country around shifting community attitudes towards people that don't fit the white, able, straight, cisgendered person. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. of public land to private developers. They're building private public partnership model housing over public housing land and it's just not on. Housing is just massively expensive. It's never been effective in this country to rely on the market to provide decent housing for people. Rent has risen by 21%. That's median rent across the country as of January this year. As the rents keep rising, so must we. And we must stand together as a collective because this war cannot be won by the few. It will only be victorious by the many. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.